0: Hi friends, I'm Tierney, and I'm Shelby, and we're Dead Dead Drunk. Drunk! To start these things <laughs> yeah i'm always really bad at starting too but whatever here we go so how are you <laughs> i'm all right i'm hanging in there still quarantined yeah hopefully i was gonna say hopefully when this is posted we won't be quarantined anymore but i'm sure we will be yeah, <sighs> I, yeah I had to go to work so this is gonna last for a while
1: yeah i'm working remotely too but that's <sighs> eh. crazy though it is crazy yeah I like working remotely because I get to be with my dog, Mm -hmm. and I don't really have to get dressed, but my sleepy kitty likes it. Right, kitty?
0: He's asleep, so... (sighs) My
1: dog for sure loves it. She, like, lays down in front of me and then slowly moves and stretches out until she closes my laptop, and then she's on top (laughs) of my laptop.
0: Little baby.
1: So, yeah, she's excited about it. Yeah. Plus, it gives me more opportunity to be home, watch more Investigation Discovery, and... Which is where I saw this story. Um, Ooh, wonderful
0: segue there. Thanks. I love that.
1: This was an episode of Who the Bleep Did I Marry? Which is a very interesting show. I normally don't like the ones that are just narrated and then kind of cut to the people to tell their story. Mm -hmm. But I do because it's just so over the top on (laughs) Investigation Discovery. It's crazy. And this one involves not one... But two FBI agents. So the drink today is the FBI cocktail. And surprisingly, it's a delicious dessert. Save it for the end of your workday. Five or two. We're quarantined. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Uh, So what you're going to do is combine two fluid ounces of Kettle One vodka or whatever vodka you want. I usually use Tito's. We'll probably use Tito's. Tito's is probably. Yeah. Tito's is good. Yeah. Anyone you want. Then one ounce of Irish cream liqueur, one ounce of coffee liqueur or, you know, Jameson cold brew if you want. Yes. That's new. That's delicious. It's so and good. Yeah. And then three scoops of vanilla ice cream. Yeah, this is really good. Then you're going to blend it all together, in, you know, in a blender like you're making a milkshake and pour it into a drink. Top with whipped cream and a Cadbury Flake bar if you have one. We don't, but I would love one. Oh, that sounds so good. Oh, it's so good. I every time anybody's like, want to go out and get ice cream, I'm like, no, because they won't put a Cadbury Flake in it. <laughs> oh, hate America. <laughs> <laughs> Just for that, there's no other reason. So, so once you've got that ready, sit yourself down, get yourself ready. Okay, are you ready for the case? Are you prepped?
0: Drink Drink up, up, dead junkies.
1: Marguerite or Margot Bennett, Bennett being her married name. The episode didn't give me her uh, maiden name and I couldn't find it in any other articles because they just talk about this. Gotcha. So anyway... Margot Bennett grew up in Athens, Georgia and from a very young age knew that she wanted to work in law enforcement which is cool, I still don't know what I want to do <laughs> <laughs> she became a police officer and after some encouragement from a friend, she decided to try out for the FBI that's where she says she found quote, her niche knowing that she was doing something good in the winter of 1982, as 29 year old Margot was finishing up her FBI field training in Atlanta, she met another recruit, Gene Bennett According to Margot, one of her colleagues introduced them with the warning phrase, quote, stay away from him, he'll try to get in your pants. Gene Bennett had a confident swagger about him that set him apart
0: from the other new FBI recruits. Pretty boy swag. Hey, pretty yeah.
1: boy <laughs> He was also already doing undercover work, which according to Caitlin Rother, who's the author of the book on this case, which is titled Twisted Triangle, Rother said of his undercover work that this was, quote, almost unheard of. So he was a boy wonder. As a recruit, he was doing undercover work. That's how okay. good he was. Gene, the boy wonder. Gene, boy wonder. <laughs> 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 I wonder if that's what it says on the FBI. Coming soon <laughs> to a theater <laughs>
0: near you. <laughs>
1: Gene, boy wonder. <laughs> and it's just like the FBI symbol. Da, da, da. Yeah. In a single night of undercover work, Gene assisted in the arrest of dozens of criminals and recovered more than $8 million in smuggled goods. So he, he earned his title. Oh shit, yeah. And it caught the FBI's attention, as well as Margot's. She said that this was, quote, not something that just anyone can do. He had really taken to the work, and he was very successful. When Jean asked her out on a date, however, Margot initially tried to decline the offer. But Jean was persistent, and eventually Margot said yes. Okay. Almost instantly, the sparks started flying, but this didn't last long. Margot was transferred to Kansas City, and after two years of long-distance dating, she decided to give an ultimatum. The only way the agency would bring the two of them back together was if they were married. So Margot said to Jean, quote, Okay, now is the time. We're either going to do this or we're not. Not the most romantic proposal, but effective nonetheless. On February 25th, 1984, Margot and Jean were married in a huge church wedding in Atlanta. That's not to say that ultimatums are the way to go. I would say no, I would say yeah However, nothing good ever starts with proposals an probably don't have to be super over the top, like I know this isn't gonna happen, but if you don't know for sure that it's what your girl wants, don't organize a flash mob or like or your girl or guy. I don't wanna if it's what your partner wants, don't organize a flash mob that's gonna be super embarrassing. For them.
0: Yeah, I would not like that. No. I, I always... I'm I don't, don't have remember, to worry about that, but... I don't remember <laughs> what movie it was. If it was, like, one of the, like, Valentine's Day movies or whatever. I don't know. Maybe it was... Are you thinking of the real video where this kid like
1: sings to a girl in a mall and tries to like propose something and she just takes the ukulele and smashes it on him and leaves?
0: (gasps) No, (laughs) I was going to say, I always thought like the best proposal was it was Anne Hathaway. I don't know what movie she was in, though. And the guy proposed to her. They got take out Chinese food and her fortune cookie. It said, will you marry me? I've never seen that. And I was always like, that would be the perfect proposal because you're like, chilling at home. You're not in front of anybody, Mm -hmm. but it's also like really cute.
1: That's what I think is important too. I think that people are always like, oh, I want my family to be there. Like, you don't want your family to be there for the, The thing. No.
0: Like, I love how Alex and Chris did it. Yes. We're referring again to our really awesome friends (laughs) that are getting married. Well, I wish they were here right now. I wish they were here, too. They
1: were supposed to be, but, you know, like social distancing and stuff. (sighs) They did it perfectly. The way that you propose is just you on you in a special place, in a special moment. And then, you know, like you meet all your friends and your family afterwards for drinks and celebrating and drinks. So on Investigation Discovery show, Who the Bleep Did I Marry?, Margot said, quote, I had no doubt that Jean was the person I was meant to marry, that we were going to have a great future, end quote. Now, I know that the source of the quote doesn't bode well for the couple, but at the time, it looked like they would live happily ever after. And they did, for the next two years at least. Then, in September of 1986, while Margot was eight months pregnant, Jean approached her with an idea for a scam. According to Margot, quote, he said he was just talking to his informant and that his informant had this great idea and it involved using the relocation service to make a profit on a house, end quote. The FBI's relocation program helps agents relocate by paying them the equity on their house and then selling the house for them. So Margot continued to explain, quote, the idea was that we would assume ownership of a home that the informant had recently purchased, as if we had lived there, and use that house to sell in the relocation service. So the informant bought a house, and then the idea was for Gene and Margot to get the FBI to buy the house from them in the relocation service program. And then they would sell and then they would make a profit from it. Interesting. Jean told Margot that they would split the profits with the informant, but she wasn't interested in committing any scams. She immediately told Jean that the idea was crazy and there was no way that the FBI's golden couple was going to get involved with that. Jean seemed to let the idea go without any further argument. And a month later, Margot gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. Gene was a great dad who doted on his daughter, and the couple seemed to be back on track for their happily ever after. A month later, the Bennetts were preparing to move to Washington, D.C. with their new baby daughter. Just before their move, however, Gene brought up the relocation scam again, and this time he was determined to not back down. Margot told Investigation Discovery, quote, I didn't want to do it, and Gene's response was, Don't let the door hit you on your way out. So, to save her family, Margot went through with the scam. Hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't pay out the way that Gene had expected. He had hoped to make $100,000 on the house, but he ended up getting only $17,000.
0: I feel like this entire relationship is just ultimatum after ultimatum. Yeah,
1: but the first one was from her.
0: Yeah, but still. Mostly to keep the couple together, because they yeah. would have been separated.
1: Um, but yes, it, so far it's sounding like ultimatum it's after ultimatum. She's not
0: healthy. Right. In case you were wondering. (laughs) When the couple
1: moved to D.C. in January of 1987, Margot hoped that they would be leaving Gene's scams behind. Margot had been offered a job doing background investigations on appointees to the Supreme Court, and Gene's job offer was similar, but a more prestigious position, as he would be performing background investigations on White House appointees. Margot hoped that this would put him on a different path rather than one focused on scams and fraud. That spring, Margot was offered her dream job, a teaching position at the FBI Academy in Quantico, Virginia. Although she was thrilled, she could not ignore the fact that her husband was still getting involved in shady dealings. One day, Margot discovered that one of the rings that Jean had given her was missing. The ring in question was made from a gold coin and had diamonds around the outside. It was rather large, so Margot tended to put it in her purse while she was working as it got in the way of her typing.
0: I would love a ring that large. (laughs) <laughs> it was it was so huge. It was I very want, cumbersome. I want a ring like J-Lo's. Like just a big, large, chunky diamond. It doesn't need any other diamonds. Like the band can be plain. And I just want the ring to be like fucking huge. World Series Super Bowl size, Adam. That's what <laughs> she's talking about. So anyway. <laughs> We've been dating for three months, but this <laughs> is the engagement ring that I want.
1: And then we moved on. So... <laughs> When she couldn't find it, Margo went to tell Jean that she had lost the ring, expecting him to have an angry reaction. Instead, Jean simply told her that their insurance would cover it. Immediately, he filed a claim and received a check for almost $12,000. The following Christmas, Jean surprised Margo with a ring that was exactly identical to her lost one. Scratch marks and all. Margo told ID, which is how I'll be abbreviating investigation discovery from now on, Quote, I was worried that this was the same ring that we had gotten an insurance payment for. I didn't know it for a fact, but my heart sunk. End quote. In January of 1989, Margot gave birth to a second baby girl. Unfortunately, the addition to the family couldn't bridge the growing distance between the couple. According to Margot, quote, I was hoping that with this other child, our family would become more complete and that it would be a way of pulling us back into where we were.
0: That is never a good reason to have a baby. That's true. I feel like I hear so many times people have babies because they think it's gonna help their marriage, and it's literally the opposite.
1: Yeah, in the league, Ruxin, my favorite character. Yeah, he wants to have an anchor baby with his wife because she's losing the baby weight from the first baby, and she's getting hot again. And this is all because she changed up her pubic hair, like shaving. Like he was like, "Oh, it's a different shape. It's different. She's getting ready to get back out there. We gotta put another baby in her." So, that's all. (laughs) There's. That's incredible. There's only one good reason to have a baby. Because you want one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you're prepared to take care of one. Exactly. Financially. And otherwise. Okay. Well, thank you for coming to my TED Talk.
1: Although all Margot wanted was to move forward and build the perfect life for her family, Jean was focusing on other things. Author Caitlin Rother told I.D., quote, he enjoyed the undercover work. He enjoyed pretending to be a criminal. He enjoyed it so much that it was starting to seep into his life. End quote.
0: It'll seep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of focusing on the wrong detail there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> After six years of marriage in the summer of 1990, Margot had finally had enough. Not willing to break up her family, she decided that she would stick it out until her daughters had graduated high school. Margot told herself that she would wait 10 years, saying, quote, I'll wait and I'll just be unhappy for 10
0: years. 10 years is an extremely long amount of time to be unhappy. Right. 10 years.
1: But I kind of respect her for the thought of it. You want your daughters to have a father, so... And he sounds like he was a good father. It's just the fact that he he sucked otherwise. Yeah. Then in June of 1991, Margot's life changed when crime novelist Patricia Cornwell came to Quantico to research her new
0: book. I so wish you had said... Crime novelist, Sandra London, (laughs) came to Quantico. Whoa, she came to Quantico and things got crazy.
1: No, it's not Sandra London. It's Patricia Cornwell. Damn, okay. Margot and Patsy, as Margot called her, would often have lunch together to help the novelist with her research. Then lunches turned into dinners at the Bennett House, and it wasn't long before Margot began to sense an attraction between them and their friendship became something more. I
0: knew that was what (laughs) you were going to (laughs) say. I knew it. And they fell in love.
1: Well, the book is called Twisted Triangle, so there has to be another person in here. All right, Margot told I.D., quote, I began to sense a different kind of closeness from her. It was something that I was missing in my life. It was almost like I was a dry sponge and she was throwing water on it. Despite the connection growing between the two women, in April 1992, Margot decided that she couldn't continue the affair. According to Margot, quote, We agreed we should stop this and just be friends, and that's what we did. Some good did come of the affair, however, as it changed Margot's perception of her marriage. She realized that she didn't have to live unhappily for 10 years, and in June of 1992, she told Jean that she wanted a divorce, as well as temporary custody of the girls. Jean was stunned by this, and according to Margot, he told her, quote, He was okay with me moving into an apartment, but the kids weren't coming with me. It was at that moment that Margot realized that this was going to be an all-out war. Dun, dun, dun. With that in mind, Margot went to the FBI and told them all about Gene's house fraud scam. In March of 1993, Gene and two of his accomplices were arrested and charged with two counts of fraud. In June of that year, Margot was all prepared to testify against the father of her children. Five days before the trial on June 19th, 1993, Gene had the children for the weekend and asked Margot to pick them up at 7 a.m. According to Margot, quote, I pulled down in the driveway and got out of the car. The garage door came up, and he was carrying their book bags. When he got close to me, he dropped the book bags. I saw that he had a taser in his hand. Through my head was going, get out, get out, get out right now, and I took off running. He caught me, and he pulled me back into the garage. He was wrestling to hold me down, and I was fighting for my life. Margot was quickly overcome as Jean used the taser on her multiple times, including in the head. Once Margot had stopped fighting, Jean gagged and blindfolded her before sticking her into the trunk of her own car. After driving for nearly an hour, Jean opened the trunk and told Margot that their kids were being held hostage by his accomplices and would not be released back to them until she agreed to change her testimony. He told her that if she could get on the stand and lie, they were willing to let her do that and then they would release the children. With no other option, Margot told him she could do that.
0: That's so shitty because you know, like, it's so obvious that Margot loves her kids so fucking much and she would do anything for them. Right. That's such a low blow to be like, do this or your kids blank. You know what I mean? Oh, it's crazy. I hate that. And it's his kids too. Mm -hmm. Fuck that guy. Jean then
1: held Margot captive until it was time for her to testify five days later. He
0: held her captive for five Mm -hmm. days?
1: Otherwise, she would have been able to figure out that maybe he's not telling the truth. Oh, my God. On June 24th, Margot stunned the prosecutors by taking the stand and reversing her testimony. When the court called a recess, Margot called her good friend, John Hess. Ooh, who's John Hess? I don't, don't know. Did you talk about him already? Uh, no, I didn't. Okay. I thought um, I missed it. <laughs> no, uh, Investigation Discovery didn't really go into him, and I didn't look into him, and that's my bad. But if I'm going off of looks... He looks like he was also in law enforcement, but he was a friend. She of should date
0: John Hess. Oh, wait. She's a lesbian now. I think so. All right. Love that journey for her. Yes, girl. Anyway, Marguerite Bennett. That's my drag name. <laughs> <laughs> Hess told
1: I.D., quote, there was a sense of almost panic in her voice, and she just blurted out that she had been in the clutches of Jean. She was still concerned that maybe he had been telling her the truth about her children having been kidnapped. And I said... For heaven's sake, Margot! you know that's not true. He's lying. You've got to tell the truth.
0: Oh, I really hope she tells the truth. She
1: did. She told her attorney. And then she learned that the children had actually been staying with Gene's babysitter for the entire time that she was being held captive.
0: The way that you said that makes it look like Gene has a babysitter that babysits him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because he's a big baby. Oh, he should have, though. Somebody should have been watching this. Anyway, a new trial was set, but this time Gene took a plea deal. Gene Bennett was charged and convicted of fraud against the government and admitted to improper contact with a witness. (laughs) That's the least.
0: Sounds like a football play.
1: Yeah. Improper contact. Improper contact. Not like kidnapping and (laughs) and holding hostage. Gene was sentenced to one year in prison. And forced to resign from the FBI. But that's it.
0: One year. I mean, I guess he didn't, like, kill anyone, but, like, still, one year is, like, a lot for, like, holding somebody captive? Right. Kidnapping and holding them hostage
1: was never brought up. Margot was left feeling that her life wasn't worth all that much since all this man got for it was one year. Margot ended up resigning from the FBI as well and took the time while Jean was in prison to heal as best she could from the trauma. So, I guess I understand that because if, you know, like, when Mike Ortega didn't back me, I quit there. You can't work for somebody that doesn't, you know, doesn't right. care enough. You shouldn't
0: give your time because you know how fast a company is going to replace you. People like my friend got a new job, so she doesn't work at my school anymore. Before she even left, they had a new building sub. And it's yeah. like p- they, companies will replace you faster than you can even leave. So if they're not supporting you, you need to leave. Exactly. That's yeah. Even so though it would be fucking awesome to work in the FBI. I yeah. owe, That's like my dream job is to be an FBI agent. Oh, you can. They're, like There's special agent postings at Poughkeepsie. There's special agent postings. I think I would be a great undercover agent. Mm-hmm. I really do. Nobody would ever suspect me to be in the FBI. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd just be like enjoying my Tito's and Club at the bar. And, and I'd be, like, I'd be freeze spying freeze on you. <laughs> <FBI>. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine me with a badge and I would just like, <laughs> FBI. <laughs>
1: In March of nineteen ninety five, Gene was released. Unfortunately, the couple still shared joint custody of their daughters, so Margot still couldn't get away from him. Margot told ID, quote, after he got out, I got a job at a police department. I never went anywhere without a can of pepper spray and my gun. Mentally, I was just keeping myself on alert. I knew that he was going to come back. I just knew it.
0: That's so awful that somebody mm-hmm. has to live in fear like that of somebody that like, that's why I'm afraid to get married. <laughs> For
1: context, Adam just (laughs) left the room. So that's why that's like I am, and
0: I'm also afraid to get choked during sex because I think that they're gonna kill me. You never know a person. Even if I trust you like so much, like I don't want you to choke me during sex because I get scared that you're gonna kill me. Yeah, I guess you're right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fair. Like I'm thinking of like Kendall (laughs) Francois, like, Oh my god, you're choking me, yes, Daddy, and then I'm dead.
1: Yeah, that's true. They probably didn't think about it at first.
0: <laughs> you know?
1: That's depressing. Like,
0: what if they just snapped and, like, decided to fucking choke me? Anyway. <laughs> that was so
1: bleak. <laughs> when the custody battle began, Jean snapped again on the night of June 23rd, 1996. On that night, Margaret received a late night phone call from her pastor, Reverend Edwin Clever, which is a cool name who told her that he needed some help with a married couple who were having a domestic dispute. At 11.30 that evening, Margot rushed over to the church. When she pulled into the church, everything was dark, but still she got out of her car and approached the front door. According to Margot, quote, All of a sudden, the sanctuary door flew open, and this figure came out wearing a ski mask. He had a gun, and I knew right away it was Jean. I knew I was going to die. This time, however, Margot was ready. Thinking quickly, Margot dove into the pastor's office and went around the desk to take cover. Jean was following close behind, so Margot reached for her gun. That's when she looked up and realized that they weren't the only two in the sanctuary. Margot saw her pastor in the next room. He was handcuffed to his chair with a bag over his head and a bag of explosives around his waist. According to crime author Rother, Jean said, quote, Do you want to die? Do you want all of us to die? It was at this point that Margot realized that Jean was not going to quit and that she would have to be the one to end this. So the next time Jean's head popped around the corner of the door, Margot fired. Yes, queen! The shot missed him by just... (laughs) No! You're mean? No! (laughs) The shot missed him by just a fraction, but it was enough to let him know that she was not afraid to shoot him. Jean backed off and Margot yelled for him to leave and let them go. No answer came and Margot took the opportunity to call
0: 911. Oh my god, she's such a bad bitch.
1: Exactly. (laughs) That's why I love the story. The police arrived within minutes, but Gene was gone. The bomb squad immediately started removing the fanny pack of explosives from around the pastor's waist, and quickly learned that it was nothing more than (laughs) Play-Doh. Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, the police didn't have to look far to find Gene. He had gone home and called 911 to report that Margot was trying to kill him. Yeah, okay. The police surrounded his home but Jean refused to come out and began telling the 911 operator an insane explanation for his actions. I'm ready for this. I don't know that you are. <laughs> According to the author Roacher, Jean claimed to have been an undercover agent for so long that quote, his brain had split. His psyche had developed this new person named Evil Ed, who <laughs> had come up with this crazy plan to kill Margo.
0: Evil Ed what was the what was the beginning movie I was going to say? Wonder Boy Gene? Yeah, Wonder Boy Gene. <laughs> and now it's Evil Ed. <laughs> Wonder Boy Gene and Evil Ed. It's like Shark Boy and Lava Girl. <laughs> 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 it also
1: bombs in the box office. <laughs> 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 After a 4-hour standoff, Yikes. Gene finally surrendered. He told the police that he had to lock evil Ed in the garage before he could do so. Still, he wasn't giving up his campaign to destroy Margot. Jean took to the media and exposed the affair that she had with Patricia Cornwell. He blamed Margot for ruining his life and apparently sought to take it out on her in any way he could. The affair came up again when Jean went to trial in 1997. His attorney, Reed Weingarten, argued that Gene had gone temporarily insane upon learning of his wife's affair with Cornwell. Weingarten told the Washington Post, quote, Gene was consumed by his fear that his daughters would be raised in a homosexual household, and it in part drove him crazy. At the trial, Gene was linked to real bombs and bomb-making materials that had been found in two lockers on the Northern Virginia Community College campus where Margot worked. Another witness testified that Jean, using a fake name, had hired her as part of an insurance scheme that would have benefited his daughters. Overall, the jury heard how a former FBI agent had lied and schemed in many different scams, but most notably in an insurance plot that would have granted him $1 million in full custody of the couple's daughters. And Margot would have been dead. Jean warned the court about the dangers of undercover work, stating, quote, I was one of the best. Now I'm a walking case history for the downside. I hope to get mental health treatment, and I hope that one day I can be an asset to the community.
0: No, Jean. <laughs> we don't want you in our community. Social distancing, Jean. Way more than six <laughs> feet. <laughs> like, like six miles would be great.
1: Reverend Clever said that while he appreciated Gene's words, he still questioned their sincerity. He told the Washington Post, Unless something changes in his heart, he'll come after Marguerite when he gets out of prison. The jury didn't buy it either, and in February of 1997, they found 42 year old Gene Bennett guilty of nine charges, including abduction and attempted murder. The jury recommended 61 years behind bars. But to the disappointment of many in the courtroom, Judge Richard B. Potter reduced the sentence to just 23 years. Judge Potter stated that judging on Gene's military background and career with the FBI, there was some good in him and he deserved to have another chance. A very shaken Margot Bennett told the Washington Post, quote, Continuing to live is my biggest concern. 23 years is a substantial amount of time for me to recover and heal and get on with my life. But what do I do when that 23 years is over? He's going to be just as dangerous at sixty two as he is at forty two. In the summer of that year, Margot and Jean's divorce was finalized, and Margot got full custody of the children. Margot told ID, quote, "I was very relieved. The kids and I could pull our lives back together. We could make a future for ourselves, and we didn't have to worry about that anymore." Today, twenty three years later, Margot is enjoying life as a grandmother, living close to her daughters in California. In 2013, Margo was named UC Berkeley's new police chief, and she is using her past experiences to better her police work. She told ID, quote, the events of my life certainly have shaped who I am today. They have made me realize that there's a core in me that won't crumble, that I am stronger than I think.
0: Yes, you are, queen. I just got chills. I love her.
1: I couldn't find an actual release date, but Jean's proposed release date was July 2016. And since it's 2020, I think it's safe to assume that Jean Bennett, Wonder Boy, Evil Ed, is somewhere walking the streets. But it's okay because Margot Bennett is a bad bitch and she's going to take care okay. of herself and her girls.
0: Yeah. He better not be anywhere near her. I'm sure that she's made sure that he can't. She's a police chief. She has an entire force that will back her up. Yes, she is. She's fine.
1: Yes, chief. Okay. How about for a caboose, we do see if you can pass
0: the FBI special agent test. Oh, yeah, dude. But to listen to that, you have to listen to our socials first.
1: Tell us what you think about this bad bitch, Margot. I personally love her. I've been waiting to tell this story for months. I just i saw this episode this is also one of the only episodes of who the bloop did i marry where i was like yes all yeah. the other ones i was like mm. yeah so but this one Margot, it's it's an amazing survival story and i hope you liked it as much as i did and if you didn't you can let us know at our email
0: <laughs> dead gmail.com
1: or you can tweet us on the tweeters
0: dead drunk crime or you can find our facebook page which is called Dead drunk, pod, uh, dead drunk at True Crime podcast, and you can see this delicious milkshake on our
1: Instagram, and you can share pictures of yours at Dead Drunk Crime. or You can message us and tell us how much you love us, or slide into our DMs. Yeah, we love that. Slide. That's a Goo Goo Dolls song, Why but all don't I know is sli- slide. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I only
0: could think of slide, just a, a part of the song.
1: Anyway. There's also a link to our merch in our show notes, and you can find it at the bottom of every blog post, which details every single episode that we put out each week on our website, which is deaddrunkpodcast.com. Go check it out. There's some really cute pictures of us, and you can learn more about us, you know, if you're interested. I don't blame you if you're not, but okay. if you, <laughs> you know, if you want to check out our, the rest of our episodes and learn more about these crazy criminals or Margot Bennett, you want to go further into her, want to find her on Facebook, she's probably a not on facebook but <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> she might be she not? might be i don't know i wonder how she's doing during this quarantine oh right cause she's in california so yeah, she's she's like shut down she's locked down yeah oh she's probably not cuz she's the police chief oh yeah she's locking people down I- you ready for question 1
1: it includes the visual oh yeah who is the mother this is the first test look at the picture there are two ladies in a room who are sitting opposite each
0: other while a little boy plays on the floor Study the image well. All right, this is what I'm thinking. It's uh, it's the one on the left because he's giving his attention to her. Like he's facing her. Is he? The answer is the lady on the left. All right. She is sitting so that her legs are directed towards the child. Oh, that's literally not even what I was picking right. up on. Wait, let me see that again because I looked at their legs and both of their legs are just facing forward.
1: But hers are kind... Hers oh, are, so
0: her right leg is... Cr- okay, that's bullshit. Right. But wait, there's there's more explanation to
1: it too. Uh, This position reflects... This is what it says. The position reflects the natural desire of a mother to protect her child as if she could like... Okay, like that. I guess that makes sense. The posture of the woman on the left is protective, slightly bent forward. It is natural for small children to face their mother when playing or doing some sort of activity if she is around. Okay. So that was the reason that you picked too. All right. Okay, cool. Okay. So in this picture, this the second question is called two pills. And underneath it it says, a serial killer kidnapped people and made them take one of two pills. One was harmless and the other was poisonous. Whichever pill a victim took, the serial killer took the other one. Each time, the victims died and the serial killer survived. How did the killer always get the harmless pill?
0: Wait, okay, so he made them take one of the... The two pills are in the center of the table, Mm -hmm. and they each have a cup. The serial killer obviously knows which one is which.
1: Right, so the serial killer told them that one of them is poisoned and one of them is harmless, and then lets them choose.
0: I bet both of the pills are just, like, ibuprofen or some shit, and then the glasses have the poison.
1: Well, let's see. The answer is both pills were harmless. The poison was in the glass of water the victims drank. Wow, I'm so smart. (laughs) The third one is beverages. I don't really know that you need to see this picture to see the pictures, but I like the pictures. A man and a woman went to a restaurant for dinner. While they were waiting for the main dish, she ordered five drinks with ice because it was very hot. The woman drank four of them all at once while the man only drank one. After a while, the man became ill and died. The doctor said that all the drinks were poisoned. Why was the woman still alive when the man died?
0: The ice was poisoned. And he drank his slow slow enough that the ice melted and he drank the poison from the ice and she drank hers so fast that the ice didn't melt so she didn't get poisoned. Yes. Yeah!
1: (laughs) you nailed it
0: that was really good it Thanks. you didn't even
1: let me get to the part where it says read again carefully like it was like you're not gonna get this one bro oh
0: i got that one yeah i'm, re- I'm an fbi agent
1: oh god look at this picture
0: <laughs> oh my god
1: it's called cassette <laughs>
0: is he okay obviously not
1: he has x's for eyes oh no imagine a scene a man was found dead he has a pistol in his hand and a cassette recorder next to him the detective pressed the play button and listened to the message it said quote I am tired of this life and decided to stop my pain and suffering. That's fake. And, and, continue. Quote, and then a shot follows.
0: Somehow the detective doesn't believe that it was suicide. Yeah, I don't either. Why
1: does the detective think that it was murder?
0: Because wouldn't the, the cassette still be recording? If he had shot himself on the recording, it wouldn't have stopped. So it would still be recording when the police officer got there.
1: If he had shot himself on the recording, how did he rewind the cassette? Yeah. Yeah. There we go. You nailed it. This one's called Christmas Mystery. Ooh. Ooh a bunch of gay guys. Mystery. M-I-S-T-E-R-Y. Mystery. Oh, mystery.
0: Mystery. Okay. This is
1: poorly written. It says, and detective. Nope. A detective was on duty during the Christmas holidays, and on the morning of December 25th, he went on a call. He rang the doorbell, and a minute later, a sleepy house owner opened it. The detective said, quote, Your neighbor says that yesterday, on Christmas Eve, he came to your place for a party, and while he was here, you broke into his house and stole some valuable items. The owner replied, quote, That's not true. Our family celebrated Christmas Eve at our friend's place. We barely had time to decorate our Christmas tree. The detective said, No worries. It's quite obvious for me that your neighbor is a liar. How did the detective know?
0: The only real thing I see in the picture is that the tree isn't plugged in.
1: But it would be if you had just had a party, right? The night before, if you had a Christmas party.
0: Yeah, probably you would have plugged the tree in. Is that right. it?
1: Yeah, that's it. Oh. Oh. Yeah, that's it could have been unplugged because you don't turn off the switch for it or something. It's or it
0: could have been unplugged if th- when they went to this bed. This says, the know. Christmas
1: tree lights are unplugged and actually missing one bulb. They wouldn't work without it. It was clear for the detective that the owner was telling the truth. He had decorated the tree in such a hurry that he didn't even check to see whether the lights were working or not. Oh, okay. Have you nailed it? Tell us in the comments about your results. I think I did well. I think you did well, too.
0: I should be an FBI agent.
1: Yeah, did you hear that, FBI? we FBI, got a new special agent for you if
0: you're hiring <laughs> i don't have anything to do because my school is shut down so if you want me to join the fbi you can email me at dead drunk at <laughs> 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 okay all right bye mom bye fbi